Yes, Wednesday. This is at 5 o'clock. Slot, I am Ian Hamilton Trottier. Wednesdays, 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I am here on Windwood Radio in our bunker, our Windwood Bunker Studio. Uh, very, very, very few know the location. We'll keep it that way. We will keep it that way. I address topics of discussion that I believe you need to talk about too and listen to and hear. And so I strive to bring on an expert, per se, if you will, in a certain area like Agenda 21, uh, who we just closed out. Um, Started that program at the 3 o'clock hour, special edition today. Dr. Willie Soon from the uh, Harvard-Smithsonian Institute talked about and addressed climate change and uh, what that means for the United Nations Agenda 21, but really uh, how it folds into, but really what it means for you. Okay, so... This hour, we'll be transferring our focus elsewhere. And we're going to talk primarily with uh, Ambassador Dr. Otto Feigenblatt, who will address the various political issues that he uh, uh, that he's working on. And uh, I think he'll have a few things to say about the crisis in Venezuela. But we will be opening the show with a local issue to the University of Miami. And we'll be having a a quick uh, 10-minute discussion with Judith Fertifas. But let me take a moment now to address what's on slate here for the program because next week we'll be joined by Dr. James Tracy. He's a former tenured professor of communications at the Florida Atlantic University. He was dismissed from the school in 2016 for his views on, quote, conspiracy theories and or false flags perpetrated by elements within and of deep-seated facets of the United States government. The grounds were conflict of interest. In 2018, Tracy filed an appeal to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit with his civil rights attorneys. So, James, the question is, was the Sandy Hook Massacre a staged event? Were the Boston Marathon bombings a false flag designed by elements within the United States government to infringe American civil rights? These are questions that Dr. Tracy has researched, and he's publicly taken a stand on. That stand led to his dismissal from Florida Atlantic University as a tenured professor. Does the dismissal infringe upon his very own rights? Hmm. Freedom to think, freedom to speak, 
And we will follow that up as we close out the month of May with one David Icke, a former BBC employee. Icke is considered a global leader in addressing a movement known as New Age Conspiracism. He's a public speaker based in Isle of Wight in England. He's lectured in over 25 countries, and he's known to lecture for up to 10 hours straight. He won't be doing that here on Winwood Radio, as we'll have him for perhaps an hour. But that is how the Discussions of Truth will be closing out May of 2019, and we'll be opening up June with the Oxford lecturer, and he lectures in Korean, I understand. Dr. Hae Chi, he claims in his new book, Alien Visitations and the End of Humanity, that an extraterrestrial species is inhabiting the planet currently and actively crossbreeding in an attempt to create a hybrid species worthy of counteracting the coming destruction and alteration of, yes, climate change. Yes, he lectures at Oxford University, and he'll be with us June 15th. We'll follow that up with a discussion with Alexis Brooks on spiritualism. June 26th, we'll have Commander Master Chief Leon R. Walker to discuss his book, Broken. And July 10th, coming up into July, vastly approaching, he gets 6.5 million listeners to his Uh, His program, his radio program, for nine years, he's hosted a a, a program on free speech TV. He's also been picked up by RT, Russian television, uh, which uh, he no longer is associated with. He's a New York Times bestselling author. Tom Hartman will be joining us in July. We've got quite a slate for you here on Winwood Radio, and we now pause for a quick break to bring in Judith Furterfass. I'll leave you with a little bit of Metallica. By yeah. seven, I'll bring you back. But yeah, well, well of course we're really open. Okay, to, so yeah, well, yeah. thank you for that clarification. Yeah. yeah well, now I know, now I now I know what that's been. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, Come on, you're Cuban. <laughs> somewhere, somewhere, it, it it makes some sense. But anyway, what do you do for self care? What do you do mm. to to take care of the oh, precious wow. body, Ralphie Temple? What? Well. I like to get up early, hmm. and I like to make my bed. Making the bed. It's I'm simple. Simon, make the bed. I like to get up. I learned this from my friend Ed Foreman, who's in his 80s, and if you are ever on stage and you say his name, he'll jump on the stage 
without taking the steps. And Ed Foreman says, every day get up and say, I'm alive, I'm alert, I feel great. So that's my little routine when I get up. I like to pray. Sometimes mm -hmm. I pray for people or groups of people or parts of the world where there is need for prayer. I like to pray for myself, for my friends, for my family, for animals. You know, it, 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 it's, and, and I like to meditate. I'm mm -hmm. very, very fond of Abraham Hicks' um, meditation CD. It comes with a little book, and, they have, and um, there's a meditation for physical there's a meditation for financial. There's a general meditation for relationships. There's a meditation for general well-being. And um, I'm, I'm a great fan of those. Um, sometimes I connect with my guides and I, I ask questions and I write the answers in mm -hmm. my journal. I journal. Journal. I, I sit outside and walking. Walking in the sun, walking on the beach, walking anywhere, walking and then walking, I can listen to my positive audios at the same time. So that's. Mm -hmm. No, you're, you're fine. I can hear you fine. So um, walking, I can I can listen to my audios at the same time. So all of those things, um, I remind myself to drink more water. And um, and really, for me, this this has been really important for me, and, and and this might help some people. Make a decision. Whatever it is that you're trying to do or trying to improve. Okay, and I am back. Thanks for the pause. This is Winwood Radio. I am. Ian Trottier, your host for Discussion of Truth every Wednesday at 5 o'clock. We have with us today somewhat of a whistleblower, if you will, locally to the University of Miami. Judith, are you with us? Okay, one moment. Let me cut that music. And yes, you are confirmed. I heard your voice. Judith, tell listeners a little bit about what's caught your attention here locally at the University of Miami. Um, well, um, I worked there for 12 years as a tumor registrar, and um, I, um, they had reported some uh, irregularities. Um, I, I uh, reported, um, we, I report, I'm a certified tumor registrar, and so we had to report cancer data to the state. And, um, you know, among other things, we were told to... Um, do certain things with the data that were not um, correct or ethically um, allowed. Um, and um, I uh, reported my concerns. I have uh, been threatened. And um, I was actually, um, I reported the threat immediately. It was in 2016 to the Joint Commission and to other entities. And then I reported that threat on that evaluation in 2017. Um, when I reported the threat, they fired me um, within two weeks. One of the reasons they gave was false, and the others were just very benign. Um, it was clearly a retaliatory firing. That was after 12 years. Um, that was um, in my response to a good evaluation and approximately a $10,000 raise thereabouts. 
Um, and there's just other other concerns that I have noticed in my time um, there. Um, and I'm very concerned. Um, I've started handing out the Constitution and learning about the intelligence apparatus because the universities seem to be acting with impunity, like I could report it anywhere and nothing was going to come of it or happen. And um, I started handing out the Constitution and I started having certain people come up to me that would say things regarding other current situations that, you know, they could only know by being told that. And um, I realized that the, that the CIA is also in a number of our large universities, including the University of Miami. I will also note that the retaliation, the hacking, the phone hacking, the computer hacking of my own and at UM was off the charts. And um, there's other, other extremely scary things that I have documented, that I have reported. And in fact, I started a website. It's called ourconstitution.info. Um, ourconstitution.info. And I have a lot of information there. Um, I am looking for legal help. Um, and for, for the UM, I have another about another month until that statute on that two-year firing. Um, but there's also, I believe, collusion conspiracy with the state, possibly with the county and with UM, because it was state-mandated cancer data. And, um, you know, nothing happened there either. I, they told me that, well, they're not state employees, so we can't do anything about it or something like that, which, of course, the state, you know, can rein anybody in that they want that's breaking the law. Um, and uh, so... Um, we, we do have a short amount of time here, but if people want to know more, want to contact me, that's uh, my website and my email is there as well. I am being blacklisted from working. Um, I am trying to get work, so if anybody wants to help me financially. Also, I'm, I'm thinking I want to take this on as a greater issue. I do not think that the CIA should be in our universities. I have a very serious concern that they have been involved in some of the retaliation involving me. Because I had a student come up to me from UM, a, a psychology student, when I was handing out my constitution. And he said, yeah, our psychology professor told us the CIA is coming in there and asking questions. I mean, you know, we can imagine what they're asking a psychology professor. But, you know, in, in, in instances like that where people are close together, you can imagine one hand might wash the other and they come and ask questions and the university wants to, you know, try to rein me in or whatever. Um, I'm, I am very concerned that there is a hand by the CIA in this retaliation and worse in this country. Um, per their mandate, they are not even supposed to be operating stateside. So... I don't, am not sure how I need to pursue that. Um, I don't know if I need to get an amendment to the Florida Constitution. Uh, I'm just so any, anybody out there that, that thinks that's a good idea. I, we do have foreign agents in our universities granted, and we do need to monitor for them. That should be a separate entity only dedicated to universities and to keeping, protecting United States from foreign agents on our universities in, in that case. That may be what some of the CIA is doing now. They should not be. They are already um, 
let me clarify, we have many dedicated good ethical agents in our intelligence, in criminal justice, in law enforcement. My concerns are not with those decent, ethical, honest, good people. You only need a few, and it can be very, very bad very quick. So I think the CIA needs to be out. They have actually a hub. You can see it on the CIA site. They're in this university. They're in Texas A&M. They're in Georgetown. There's a number of them. They're right on the CIA site. And um, so I am requesting help in that regard. If somebody wants to take this on legally or direct me how I might, you know, begin to, to make that change. Judy, are you familiar with uh, the arrest of retrovirus scientist Dr. Judy Mikovits? I'm, I'm not. No, I'm not. Mm -mm. That might be something I run by you. And, and, and if you're not aware, you may be. Uh, we've had a, a number of uh, former CIA uh, intelligence officers uh, join, join the program, so there may be something... Uh, it, it, there as well for you, uh, but let's let's get to. Do you are you saying that the Central Intelligence Agency had a hand in having you fired? Um, no, I no, babe, the UM didn't need any help to do that. No, that was just there. I reported my um, the threat in detail, and actually I included what I had sent to the Joint Commission. After that happened, by the way, at the time that happened, I also reported to President Frank um, at the university. Uh, no, I mean, the, and I, so that went into HR. And no, the university, it was somebody, a newly hired HR person fired me. No, I just believe, just, I believe people have walked up to me and said, there's other tangential things going on where this reporting has come up. And I have had people I do not recognize, do not know, coming up and hinting in so many ways, you know, maybe I don't want to continue to pursue certain things, etc. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't anybody I recognized from the university. That's I got somebody I've never seen before, never seen again. Um, I've never been over to the hub, if that's what you call it, at the university. So I don't really know who those people are. But, um, you know, and certainly the hacking was... Like, I would send an email, uh, concerning email, my sent box would go white. White. I mean, and the, 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 just other, other horrid things. It is on my website, ourconstitution.info, in detail, and there's more. So anybody, feel free to email me at info at ourconstitution.info, and I'm happy to work with you, give you information, uh, answer any questions, uh, clarify anything. Uh, no, I just think that um, the U.M. acted with such impunity all the way along. You know, like, they didn't care what I did. Nothing was going to happen. Very scary. And then a threat on top of that, um, horrid, horrid, vile. That information is, there's links on my website to those reports. Um, there's somebody that, that was... Um, I believe killed in a hospital after my report to the Joint Commission, and that, the Joan M., is on my website, that link. She was not mortally lethally ill. I knew her. I saw her a few days before she died. Very, very concerning. Also, under my homepage, I have medical, military, industrial. I have a link to that. Uh, President Trump warned that we have a lot of killers, 
And I believe we indeed do. They are medical through the hospitals. If, if they can get you in a hospital, you, they will kill you. I think we need more protection for patients. They need to have uh, um, monitoring of ingestion and injections and uh, cameras. If patients want them, they should be available. Uh, and then I'm not the only one. If you go in, I have other links about how in, in hospices people are being killed because they're costing too much money. The one uh, manager in Dallas told his nurse to make the patients go bye-bye. Um, so and I have more links to other things as well. Very, very scary. We have begun that steep and treacherous descent, um, scarier than anybody might know. Whatever, and I'm telling you, the only way that this is going to turn around, we, and I protest across UM, everybody has got to get out, protest, stop business, whatever, and it won't take long because they don't want business stopping in this country. But it, letters, writing, I've written senators, congresspeople, and I've got more information about that too. Nothing, nothing. It's up to the people, our republic, save our republic of by and for. The people, and we need to defend it. And because I'm, my my complaints, my documents, nothing nothing is is being changed. And you know, of course, the NSA spied on their overseers, the Senate Intelligence Committee. Um, there is, um, you know, very uh, very grave concern that presidents since JFK, frankly, are afraid about taking on the uh, the military and the CIA. And I have link. I have a link, um, I have a number of links, quite frankly, at the, my home page under that, the medical, military, industrial, and then on my links page to people trying to reopen the investigation into JFK and to Martin Luther King and where there is discussion that people are very concerned, uh, presidents, to, to, take, to take these agencies on. And so it's going to be up to us because I think that is a factor, uh, clearly. I sure that it would be a factor. Very, very concerned. Uh, Judith, you've got, you've got a very loaded message here with, with multiple tentacles and, and listeners. I, 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 as, as, we, as we close out with, with our time together, and, 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 and thank you for joining uh, Windward Radio, I want, I want listeners to know that through dialogue between the two of us, you, you, would, like, you would like emphasis put on, and, 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 and though it seems... It seems like it may not be applicable in 2019. I I think to the much to the contrary. It, it is it, it couldn't be more applicable. And 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 you you've alluded to it a couple times in, in your fra your phrasing here. But but you you, you urgently strong you, you strongly urge that people heed the uh, warning uh, of Eisenhower uh, uh, Dwight Eisenhower. Absolutely, absolutely. I have a link. To his entire speech, and I have uh, I have a, a portions of it under my links page. Uh, it's up to an alert and knowledgeable citizenry to monitor the rise of the military-industrial versus our liberties. People, the time is it's 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 already passed. Most of my concerns actually happened, and my site is nonpartisan, but happened under Obama. When Trump came in in February 2017 in that O'Reilly interview, February 5th, 2017, O'Reilly said, what are you going to meet with Putin? He's a killer. With uh, Putin, he's a killer. And Trump says, 
what do you mean? I'm paraphrasing. I've got the exact quote and I've got a link to the tape. He said, we've got a lot of killers. Do you think we're so innocent? We've got a lot of killers. Please go to my site. Go to my links. If you can help me financially, that's fine. I, if I can pursue this and try to help bring us back, um, I, I will. Uh, all ideas are appreciated. Um, legal help is definitely appreciated. Um, but absolutely, absolutely, that's what Eisenhower warned us about decades ago. And the intelligence apparatus has been able to rise insidiously. There's no checks and balances. There's no verifiable, reliable, accountable oversight on them. And we must demand it. We must demand it or we're going to continue along this horrid, horrid We'll be wiped out. We'll be destroyed. Uh, Judy, thank you for joining the program. Uh, we will be in, chuck, in touch. Ladies and gentlemen, Judith Fertifas. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Appreciate your concern. Thank you. Uh, there's uh, right from the uh, right from the, the 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 testimonial. This is a very concerned, um, and rightfully so, very concerned. American here. She lost her job because of at the University of Miami for uh, taking a stance on 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 uh, her research. Okay, she wouldn't she wouldn't taint it. She wouldn't uh, alter it, and uh, and she lost her position for that. And and that opened up a Pandora's box, if you will, of understanding what's going on there at the University of Miami. We could have spent a lot more time with Judith, but in a nutshell, what she's realizing is that there is an essential intelligence agency factor and aspect that's controlling uh, the the fundamentals way of how that institution is operating. And she says the link was through her state-connected uh, uh, research for cancer. We'll be right back with uh, Dr. Foggenblot. And, of course, I leave you with none other than a little bit of Metallica. <laughs> I make a decision and I get myself into alignment with that decision and then I act. When I have acted out of alignment with a decision, the results have been less pleasant. Hmm. Yeah, murky. And it's so funny because Anna and I have I've been there too. We're so f- afraid to make a wrong decision. And uh, the beauty is making a decision because in, even if the results aren't what we expected, we will probably see in retrospect that it was what was supposed to happen. So it's like a, it, it could be a win-win situation, even if it, it doesn't. But otherwise, you're just stuck and you're not moving. And we, we tend to act like, like all our decisions are life or death. Mm. And if you're feeling like that, you need to see me because you're stuck <laughs> in a fight or flight situation and we need to facilitate a way out of that right away. And how would you do that while you're at it? 
Well, if you were um, if you were on the phone with me, I would I would I would have you. I would say, tell me a little bit about what's going on with you, and within two, three, five minutes, very quickly, I would pick up what it is that's going on, and we would clear specific emotions. If you came to see me in person, of course, then you'd be on my table, and mm-hmm. I'd be able to muscle test you directly. Which I have experienced. And, and that can be incredible. very powerful. Yeah. What was that like for you? It was really interesting because uh, the, 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 ex- the experience that I had that was most profound, and, and that's when this morning, early when I saw you, you had the flower of life on mm. your phone. And uh, I don't remember what was happening or what we talked about before, but when I finished the session, I opened my eyes and on your ceiling, covering your entire ceiling was the flower of life. So this morning when I saw that on your phone, I'm like, why do you have that on your phone? I was almost like, I think I probably said it like you're doing something wrong. Like, well, what are you doing with that on your phone? You know, it says some kind of thing you put in me when I saw it. But it was really beautiful. Uh, it was really beautiful to see this, you know, that's the secret, sacred geometry. And uh, even if I would have felt, which I didn't, that nothing happened, I mean, to open my eyes and see, and it was light blue. I'll never forget the color and everything. To see, uh, I'm going to say, do I know exactly what that meant? No, and I'm I'm fine without having to know because this is sacred geometry, and that this is just things that we may not ever in our, in our lovely conscious human minds understand. It's in but our DNA, your DNA knows. Yeah, yeah. and that's the thing. Yeah. You know, my mind is nothing. Okay, and I'm back. This is Winwood Radio. Five o'clock every Wednesday, I'm right here for a discussion of truth. And today, we have Ambassador Dr. Otto F. von Fagenblatt joining us. Uh, and he actually comes uh, through recommendation and reference, if you will, of uh, J.P. Lindstra, uh, who uh, joins the program uh, uh, fairly frequently now. Um, Otto. Are you there? Can you hear me? Yes. Excellent. Yes, yes. Pleasure to be. Pleasure to talk to you. Well, it's uh, it's nice to have you on the program. You've got a number of credentials. Um, maybe if you could take a moment for listeners to, uh, you can explain uh, explain to them uh, who you are. I understand you are local here to South Florida. Uh, take a moment and, if you would, uh, uh, introduce yourself to to listeners. Okay, perfect. Uh, yeah, I'm originally from Costa Rica, but I'm, a, I'm an academic based here in, in Florida. Uh, my background is in conflict analysis and resolution. I've written several books, mostly about sociology and political science. Currently, I'm the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Alternative Perspectives in the Social Sciences, and I'm also active in diplomacy and uh, all social causes and trying to bring some change, you know, in terms of, of dem- democracy and social justice, of course. Excellent. And um, coming from Costa Rica, Costa Rica, the government kind of sets a, a standard, if you will. Listeners may not know, Costa Rica does not have a military. Is that correct? That's correct. Costa Rica is the only country without an army, you know. They they abolished their army uh, after World War II. They had a 
comfortable when they're listed, invest all of that money in education. So they have a very stable government in Costa Rica. It's a model for democracy for the region and also for development. So now, Otto, and, and I think that has a lot to do with Oscar Arias. Is that correct? Oh, sorry, I didn't quite hear. Oscar Oscar Arias Sanchez, uh, former president of Costa Rica. Uh, he he's won a Nobel Prize. Oh yes, yes. Yeah, uh, well, he's uh, kind of a national hero. He's an academic, also a political scientist. He was president two times. He won the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, he's truly uh, a role model for Costa Ricans as a successful academic and as a politician, of course. And I think I think he should be more of a role model internationally, um, as 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 I would hope uh, most listeners um, would want to come together uh, to promote uh, peaceful resolution to various conflicts. Any conflict, frankly, uh, internationally, as far as I'm concerned, should be resolved without violence. But that doesn't seem to be the way of the past. Um, Otto, with that in mind, we are starting to get, um, uh, with more frequency, I believe, even though this has been going on for at least two or three years, to my understanding, but it seems like it's gaining more and more traction in mainstream media in the United States, uh, a crisis that's happening in Venezuela. Can you talk about that and address your understanding of what's going on. Okay, yes, uh, Venezuela is going through a humanitarian crisis. The government uh, of President Maduro uh, simply has failed in every possible way. They just have proven, they have proven not to be able, capable to govern. They cannot provide for the more, most basic needs of the people, security, health, electricity, infrastructure, uh, it is collapsing. The economy has collapsed. And it's, it's gotten to a point where the people are desperate. Not only do they want democracy, but they just want the most basic standard of living. They just want to feed their children, to go about their lives. Uh, and this is very sad, especially for a country that was considered at one point to be one of the most successful examples of development in Latin America. Currently, the opposition is doing everything in its power to bring a peace, to bring about a peaceful transition. President Guaido, who is the, the recognized president of the country by the United States and most of Latin America, he's trying his best to bring about reconciliation and a peaceful transition and to ab- avoid bloodshed. However, uh, the government of Maduro is is basically a, a kleptocracy. Uh, it's, uh, it's basically a, a mafia stealing the natural resources of the country at the expense of the people. And this is costing many lives. And most importantly, it is throwing away the potential of an entire generation of Venezuelans. So it's a very, very difficult situation. It's a very sad situation. And I would say that the worst part of this is that the international community has been very slow to react. It's something that is happening in our backyard because Venezuela is is connected to the United States in so many ways. Uh, think about energy. There is a vibrant uh, Venezuelan community here in Florida, for example. 
And for a long time, we simply chose to ignore. I mean, we uh, in the United States and in the developed countries, we ignored the plight of the people uh, until it got to a point where it was impossible uh, to look the other way. And even now, most of the support, I would say, is, is rhetorical. Because other than recognition of President Guaido, uh, aid has been very slow to arrive. So let's... Let's compare. So Maduro, Maduro took office when Chavez uh, had passed away. Is that correct? That's correct. He was uh, the assigned successor, you could say. Okay, and uh, and Juan Guaido uh, is actually American educated through uh, George Washington University. Uh, he was. Uh, he was democratically elected? Oh, he is currently the, the president of the, of the National Assembly. Uh, but because the elections were basically rigged, uh, the National Assembly declared him to be the rightful president because he was elected as the, the president of the National Assembly. And because the presidential elections were so unfair and so rigged that they were invalid. And because of that, he is the interim president. Uh, he wants to hold elections in the future after a peaceful transition. But at the moment, that is simply not feasible because of the situation on the ground. And, and, and what is your basic understanding? Do you, it, it seems, it seems from, from, from my perspective, that Maduro uh, is what I, th- I think that the term a dictator perhaps might be able to be applied. Uh, it sounds like his regime is, uh, it, it has those uh, characteristics uh, and they don't want to uh, uh, secede control. Um, I'm assuming that uh, the group that he represents controls uh, the natural, the predominant natural resource. I, 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 I know that they, that that country is wealthy in in, in petroleum, um, and uh, but it, but it, but it seems like uh, it seems like the the the, the outside Venezuela community, those that uh, that have left the country, um, are very much against Maduro. Um, uh, is is that accurate from 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 what your experience in in, in your talks and in, in, uh, with people? Yes. Uh... Maduro is not only a dictator, but he's a really, really bad dictator. I mean, he's just incapable of managing the most basic needs of the people. I mean, there are many dictatorships left in the world, uh, but Venezuela has one of the worst ones. Uh, They only focus on stealing the natural resources, as you mentioned. Uh, They basically bribe the military uh, in order to keep them loyal. And... The people who have fled Venezuela, many of them are working professionals, people who are simply trying to make a living, who who had their businesses back home or had their careers back home in Venezuela. And it, it got to a point that they were willing to leave everything behind and just try to, to, to make, uh, to start a new life outside, you know, hoping that someday they'll be able to return. But there is no doubt that the diaspora the Venezuelans who live outside of, of the country right now, mm-hmm. they are mostly against Maduro. Mm-hmm. And, and he was, uh, I think you used the word appointed. He, he wasn't elected. 
Well, he was elected as a member of the National Assembly, and he was also elected as the president of the National uh, Assembly. But he was appointed, oh, you mean in the case of Maduro, sorry. Right. Uh, yes, in the case of Maduro, he was basically appointed by, by Chavez. There was an election, but it was a very unfair election. So much so that the government instructed the public employees to vote and to use their time, you know, the work time, to go and, and participate in political activities in favor of the regime. I mean, that cannot be a fair election. Using government resources to support your political party, that is not a very democratic thing to do. So why why was, I, I, remember, I remember that the Chavez regime frequently received headlines in, in the United States, and then once he had... Once he had passed away, um, it, attention on the Venezuela issue in regards to uh, Maduro um, didn't didn't it, it dropped. It didn't get any airtime. Why is that? Um, because it seems like yeah. the situation has only gotten worse. That is a very interesting point that you're making. Uh, as you know, the media has very limited attention. It can be in some cases very short-sighted. And Chavez was very charismatic. He had many flaws, of course, and he made many mistakes. He's the one who basically set up the, the country for failure. But he was more capable by far than Maduro. In the case of Maduro, he is one of those cases of someone who, who was appointed by, by a leader, in this case Chavez, and who doesn't know how to govern. And he just basically survived on the momentum left by his predecessor. And because of that, Maduro is so incompetent that the media doesn't, didn't really like pay as much attention to him as in the case of Chavez. Chavez was actively using the oil wealth in order to counter American influence in the region. He was very active in terms of foreign, foreign policy in trying to court other South American countries to, to find alternative ways for development, what he called the socialist way of development. But in the case of Maduro, he's simply trying to survive and cling on to power. And because of that, it is a little bit difficult for him. It's a, a, much, a lot harder for him to, to catch the attention of the international media. So in, in, in your understanding, Otto, why, why did Hugo choose, it sounds like he chose or his group chose Maduro to uh, to to to, to uh, continue continue the governance. Why was Maduro chosen? Political loyalty. Mm-hmm. In that type of, of dictatorship, there is a lot of paranoia. Basically, you know, what's most valued is not ability, it's not training, it's not credentials. It's simply loyalty. And in the case of Chavez, he started a political movement. It was much more than simply one uh, political party. It was a movement. It was a socialist movement. And Maduro was very active in that movement, very loyal. And because of that, Chavez believed that he would continue the policies of that ideology and if you want that ideology to trump anything else, for example, instead of following more pragmatic steps, like in the case of China, that as much as the government claims to be communist, they have, they have free market policies, 
they allow certain private enterprises. Uh, there was a great fear in the case of Chavez that his successor would give up that socialist revolution that he had fought for. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. And, and has that happened? Uh, Maduro is, is simply, like I told you before, so incapable. The country has collapsed so much that it goes beyond ideology. It's, it's a matter of survival right. uh, for them and just keeping the lights on. So at this point, is basically just bribing his supporters, keeping the military loyal, hoping that the, that the electric grid is not going to, to crumble the next day. So it, it's such a critical situation. It's, it's a matter of survival that at this point, I think that ideology is less important than simply loyalty, to see who is going to be allied with whom. And in the case of Maduro, it's just a matter of survival at this point. Okay, so now it's to the point where I, 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 Donald Trump is now talking about it. It's now getting a little bit more momentum. Um, why is it now getting momentum when it seems like the country is basically in, well, it's in shambles? Um, why is it getting momentum and, uh, and, 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 and what, what, does, what does Guaido need to do to gain that what seems to be just uh, democratic uh, 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 power? Well, the reason why it's gaining more momentum is because it got to a point where the international community cannot deny that there is a humanitarian crisis yep. over there. It's truly a disaster. I mean, even the Red Cross uh, has openly accepted that there is a crisis. Power has gone down several times. There is no doubt that there are shortages of medical supplies and other basic needs. And because of that, the United States and the rest of the Latin American countries, and even the European Union, which was very neutral uh, at, at the beginning, they just couldn't deny that things were not going well. I mean, that, that's something that goes beyond ideology. Uh, you have socialist governments that have been able to provide for their people, and you have capitalist governments that have done so too. But in this case, it is a failed state from any perspective. Uh, well, in the case of Juan Guaido, he's doing a great job. He's sacrificing pretty much. Uh, he's putting his life at risk every day. He's done right. something very brave, which is to to openly claim the presidency while being inside and not having the support of the military yet, at least not of the majority. That's something incredibly brave. I had the, the pleasure and honor to talk to the First Lady, uh, Fabiana Rosales, when she visited uh, Miami uh, a few weeks ago. Also a very brave young woman. And she's uh, a journalist, Something that is, is that important right? to notice. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, and something that is interesting is that uh, you know, it's a young family. Both of them are very young. They have children. And to be willing to put their lives on the line, and, and it, even even while they see the violence and everything, to keep going with this, to talk about peace, to try to reach out to the international community, to put pressure to have this peaceful transition, I think that they're truly doing the best that they possibly can. I think that we cannot, the international community cannot expect for them to do more. The opposition has done way beyond what they can with their very limited resources and in very difficult conditions. I think it is one of those moments in history where the international community has to say, what can we do to help? What can, what can we do to stop 
a human uh, catastrophe? What can we do to stop what could possibly be a very, very painful and devastating civil war? I mean, one example that we can go back to in history is the possibility of having avoided the Holocaust. I mean, of course, this case might not be as extreme, but we're talking about thousands of lives that could be saved if the international community did more. And it is very easy for us who live in, in advanced societies where we have security, uh, where we have the rule of law, to say, well, what can they do over there to change their government? But it's not that simple. I mean, the military is over there is like a mafia at this point. Right. And as you saw a few uh, a few weeks ago, and several times actually, the people went out in the, to the streets in the thousands. Right. Uh, they're desperate, you know, people of all ages. And they're going, they're going against tanks. They're going against uh, people who have machine guns. But it gets to a point, what else can they do? You know, they're already putting their lives on the line. They don't have the weapons. Right. They don't have the tanks. Uh, and, and, and I think that's, that's the, the stage that we are in right now. They've done everything possible. Now they need our help. So, 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 so in resolution, from, from your expertise and, and your understanding, your, the resolution would, would, would put uh, UN, would it be UN boots on the, trial, uh, on the ground or American boots? What, be, what would be the best way to, to, to resolve this uh, in, your, in, your, in your view? Well, that is, a, that is a very sensitive question, as, as, as you know, because foreign intervention is always something that can be very controversial, especially in Latin America. Uh, there is a long history of American intervention over there, and, and that can have political repercussions, you know, even possibly a backlash. Mm -hmm. But I would say that the best thing that, that the United States and the international community can do is first of all to give uh, the, the legitimate government of Venezuela, which is the government of Juan Guaido, all the political support it can, recognition, aid, of course, which aid goes way beyond having boots on the ground. It also includes funding for, for medicines, help trying to get some food supplies to the people who desperately need it. Also international attention, that is something that is very valuable. Keeping up, the, keeping up the pressure and, and also uh, the awareness of the world about what's happening in Venezuela is, in some cases, even more powerful than bullets. And eventually, if the civil war breaks out, if there's violence in the streets that gets beyond the point that the world cannot tolerate it anymore, then at that point, I think that maybe even a military intervention might be necessary. Uh -huh. So it's not to the point of a civil war the, the 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 power that controls the military that has not been divided uh to the point where they are uh, uh facing each other in in war is that is that a, a correct assessment that's correct but i think it's even worse than that, than that because in a civil war at least there are two sides with weapons i mean yeah. there's there's some kind of fighting going on in this case you have the military shooting uh, shooting innocent civilians and running them over uh, tanks it's it's even it's Exactly. So it's even worse. They're defenseless. They're truly defenseless. And I think they've proven time, time and again that they're willing to risk their lives because they go out, you know, they protest, they march, 
they 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 try their best you know to show that they're dis- dissatisfied they use all of the possible tactics of nonviolence in the books and but it's getting to a point that if they don't have the tanks i mean what can you do uh, it's it, it's very hard for the people inside of venezuela the civilians to truly go against the military right? until there is a credible threat from from outside or there is enough financial pressure, which is something that uh, the Trump administration is doing, mm-hmm. there is not going to be an incentive for Maduro to to have a peaceful transition. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, good point. Uh, in, in auto, um, is it is it is it as simple? Uh, if if listeners want to uh, send relief, uh, can they do so through the Red Cross? Uh, well, yeah, the Red Cross, uh, they, they're they also, like, helping over there. But the best thing that they can do is to support the representative of President Guaido in Washington. There are many NGOs also located here in Miami. Uh, there's many coalitions of Venezuelan organizations helping. Also, the refugees who are in Colombia, because there are many people who have been displaced to Colombia. So they can also help through that. But the best way to help Venezuela at this point is to lobby, call your your state representatives, the senators, and ask them to keep supporting uh, President Guaido because that is what's truly going to bring about real change in Venezuela. And does he have going way beyond immediate needs? And and does and does does Juan have uh, internal opposition apart from Maduro? Oh, sorry. What do you mean by that? What do I mean they have a part? Are there other are there other people uh, that represent other parties that that are also trying to take that control? Even though the United States and 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 other international uh, countries have have officially recognized Guaido as 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 the rightful president to the country uh, internally, uh, apart from Maduro, are there are there other are there other people trying to to take that power? Well. In the in on the side of the opposition, they have agreed to support Guaido, which is something very important. For many years, the opposition was fractured; it was fragmented, and that really weakened it. Uh, but they managed to coalesce uh, on the, around the leadership of Juan Guaido, and, and that is something that has helped a lot because by having a, a single symbol for the opposition. Uh, and to have someone who coordinates the efforts of all the different factions, it makes it more feasible to have uh, an alternative to the Maduro regime. Yes, great. Uh, Dr. Fagenblatt, uh, thank you for joining Windward Radio and Discussions of Truth. Um, what else, outside of your understanding of Venezuela, can uh, listeners expect from you? Uh, perhaps... Uh, uh, guide them to a, a website and, uh, a, a, and and tell them what uh, what else you, you are working on uh, with your time uh, currently. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you, of course, uh, to read some information about my social activities and, and diplomatic activities. Uh, you can find my website at www.fonfeigenblatt.com. That is V.S. in Victor, O-N-F-E-I-G-E-N-B-L-A-T-T. Uh, there you can find some information about my books. I write about popular culture also, about social issues here in the United States, and also, of course, about social justice 
and uh, economic development. Wonderful. Uh, Dr. Otto Feigenblatt, ladies and gentlemen, thank you, Otto. Thank you for joining the Discuss the Truth on Winwood Radio. My pleasure. Have a great day. So, there again, uh, very fortunate to receive uh, some some highly credible um, commentary on on what's uh, what's happening there in uh, in Venezuela. Um, it is, I believe, a situation uh, that uh, that certainly isn't getting enough. Uh, attention in the mainstream, even though that that seems to be changing. Uh, but it is much more dire, perhaps, than uh, than is 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 realized. I will be right back with some closing comments. Uh, you are tuned in to Winwood Radio. This is Discussions of Truth. I'm the host, Ian Hamilton Trottier. <laughs> that that happened happened and uh and feeling that alignment you know so what comes with that is clarity uh the ability to make a decision because when you're in that moment of clarity after coming out of some treatment it's really beautiful because you feel safe i felt you know going in that state i feel the protection of my ancestors and the love of my guides. Mm. We can go through life just seeing this three-dimensional reality and not understanding everything that's going on around us that's not tangible, that we can't touch, that we can't necessarily hear, but it could be innate within us. So, uh, yeah, all that kind of stuff happened. <laughs> all that kind of stuff, all some, those things. For some people, it's like I can't, get in and, I can't get in and out of my own car without extreme pain, and then they're doing plies and releves like they're in the Moscow Ballet. After, <laughs> after, yeah. after the, it's, it's, it can be very physical right. for some people people obviously for you it you had this this experience with sacred geometry it's absolutely different Mm -hmm. for everyone it's about you you know i don't do it yeah and it's probably uh a message you know obviously it was a message from my because i i i love sacred geometry so that was probably their message to me you know, that, you know, for me to open my eyes and see that image. Uh, the, and the first thing, it's not like I got up and went to the side. Yes, Metallica, I always... Start the show off with Seek and Destroy. Why? Because the overall message that I hope to portray with that title is to seek out corruption and destroy it, regardless of where it is. And even uh, Judy alluded to it being in the medical field. And certainly it does persist in all industries and walks of life. But on this program, we tend to focus on political, 
financial, and yes, medical is one of the elements of corruption, as I had uh, mentioned Dr. Judy Makovitz and her case in retroviruses that we pay attention to. Venezuela is an issue that, if it resonates with you, if human rights mean anything to you, liberty and justice, then do as Dr. Foggenblatt has suggests and support all you can with a democratically elected Juan Guaido and supporting him and his efforts to straighten that country out and get it back up on its feet. Next week, we'll be joined by James Tracy. He'll be discussing his time at Florida Atlantic University and what led to his dismissal. July 3rd, we'll be joined by Karen Kwiatkowski. She is a Pentagon whistleblower. This has been your weekly edition, doubleheader today, of Discussions of Truth. As I always am, Ian Trottier, follow me on Twitter, the host. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram. Donate to the program. This is a independent radio station, independent production here. Donate to the program if you if you like. And until next week, do nothing other than be awesome.